All right. So hello, um, my name is Allison. I'm one of the pastors here at the River. So we're currently in a sermon series titled Unexpected Jesus. We are looking at moments when Jesus did or said something surprising. Today's passage comes from the book of Mark chapter five. So let's dive right in. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones." Jesus and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee into Gentile territory. There, Jesus encountered a man who was being tormented by an unclean spirit. He had become such a danger to himself and others that he had been ostracized from society and had to live alone in the tombs. Members of the community had tried to subdue him and restrain him with chains, but the man was too strong. He broke them every time. Night and day, this poor man spent his time howling and bruising himself with stones. What a miserable existence. Let's see what happens next. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, stampeded down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So it turns out that it was not just one spirit tormenting this man, but many. They called themselves Legion. For the original audience, this name would have immediately conjured up images of a Roman legion of soldiers, which was made up of anywhere between 4,000 and 6,000 men. A legion was an incredibly strong force of dominance, violence, and oppression. That was the kind of force oppressing this man. Interestingly, the spirits referred to Jesus by name and recognized his authority. They compelled the man to run to Jesus and bow before him. When Jesus cast out the spirits, they asked to enter the nearby herd of swine, and Jesus agreed. Then the 2,000 swine possessed by the unclean spirits stampeded down the bank into the sea and were drowned. What a scene. And probably not the result the spirits expected. So let's see how the swine herds reacted to this event. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man, possessed by demons, sitting there, clothed and in his right right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. 
Those who had seen what had happened to the man possessed by demons and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. The swineherds who witnessed the event, they ran to tell their neighbors. And as news spread, a crowd gathered at the scene to investigate. They learned about the swine that had drowned. And they found the man who had been possessed by demons sitting there clothed and in his right mind. This indicates that previously the man had been unclothed like an animal. But after his encounter with Jesus, the man received clothing. Jesus restored both his sanity and his human dignity. The crowd was incredibly frightened by everything they had witnessed and heard. Jesus himself frightened them, and they begged him to leave their neighborhood. Maybe they were afraid of Jesus' power. After all, Jesus demonstrated that he was more that he was stronger than a Roman legion. Or maybe they worried that directly or indirectly, Jesus would destroy more of their property. They didn't want a repeat of what happened with the swine, animals that they were dependent on for survival. However, unsurprisingly, the man who Jesus helped felt very differently about Jesus. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. The man begged to join Jesus and go with him. Jesus said no and instead instructed him to go to his own people and share with them what God had done for him. The man followed Jesus' instructions, and those who heard his story were amazed. This last part of the story is where I want to focus our attention today. This is the moment when Jesus acted in ways that I personally find interesting and surprising. It is interesting that Jesus told the man to share his story freely. After many healings prior to this one, Jesus had asked those he'd helped to keep quiet. Some interpreters believe that this difference can be attributed to Jesus being in Jewish versus Gentile territory. In Jewish territory, Jesus tried, unsuccessfully, to keep a lower profile to avoid attracting unwanted attention from those in power. In Gentile territory, they hypothesize, uh, this was less of a concern. But even more interesting to me is the moment when Jesus said no to the man. Prior to this encounter, there were many instances of Jesus calling people to him and saying, follow me. But that is not what happened here. Instead of allowing the man to join him in his travels, Jesus told him to stay put and share his story. So why did Jesus say no to the man? The text doesn't say, so we can only hypothesize. But I don't believe that Jesus was trying to reject the man or crush his dreams. Instead, I believe that Jesus had this man's best interests at heart. Clearly, he cared about the man. He had just used his power to rescue him from the spirits that were oppressing him. Perhaps Jesus could envision how remaining could be good news for the man. But even if this is true, I wonder how the man felt when he heard Jesus turn down his request. 
Maybe the man was easily able to pivot and adjust his hopes and plans. Or maybe he needed some time to grieve what he'd imagined for himself before embracing his new reality and purpose. We know that the man followed Jesus' instructions, but we don't know how he felt about doing so. The text doesn't say. In some ways, the absence of this information is frustrating. Wouldn't it be nice to know what was going on for this man? But the absence of of these details leaves room for us to imagine. We can try to put ourselves in his shoes and imagine how he might have felt. And we can ask ourselves, how might I have felt if I had been in that situation? If it were me, I likely would have felt a mixture of many different emotions, perhaps relief, gratitude, and excitement, along with anger, disappointment, and apprehension. I might have felt some fear and anxiety about what would happen next. Would my family and friends welcome me back? Would anyone hold my past against me? Would I be blamed for the deaths of the swine? Would people in the community respond well to hearing my story? Would I be protected if the spirits ever returned? I might have felt sadness about Jesus leaving. Would I ever hear from or see Jesus again? I might have felt disappointment, confusion, anger, jealousy, or even shame about Jesus turning down my request. Why did he say no? Why did he allow others to follow but not me? Did he not want me with him? Was there something wrong with me? Or maybe did he think that staying here would be good for me? What about you? How do you think that you might have felt in his situation? Can you relate to any of the feelings I described? No matter how old we are, it can be incredibly difficult to hear no, to deal with rejection, whether real or perceived, to face an unknown future, to keep moving forward when things don't work out the way we'd hoped or planned. The story in Mark 5 reminds me of a situation from my own life. During my senior year of college, like most seniors, I spent a lot of time thinking about what was going to happen once I graduated. Where was I going to live? What career path was I going to choose? I spent months going through the application process for what I thought would be the perfect job for me. Towards the end of the school year, the organization made me an offer and I accepted. At first I was incredibly excited, but as graduation day approached, it became clear that this unfortunately wasn't a position that I could move forward with. Suddenly I was scrambling to make new plans. Instead of starting a dream job, I was unemployed. Instead of moving into an apartment in Los Angeles, I had to make arrangements to move back in with my parents. For months, I had envisioned my future heading in a particular direction. And then suddenly, things looked very different. Over the next few months, I struggled to figure out how to move forward. I began to fall into a depression. Eventually, I realized that I needed to let myself grieve the loss of the future I had hoped for. I needed to let myself feel all of the many emotions that were coming up for me. Confusion, anger, sadness, jealousy, fear. As I began to be honest with myself 
and with God about how I was really feeling, accepting myself and my situation unconditionally without judgment, I slowly began to experience relief. And I began to enjoy the unexpected season that I found myself in. That season did not look at all like I had planned, but it ended up being incredibly fruitful and ultimately joyful. I had the opportunity to deepen relationships with family members and friends, to explore new interesting career opportunities, to travel the country, and to gain a lot of clarity about what I believed and what I stood for. It is important to note that all of the good fruit did not cancel out the grief I felt over the lost opportunity. But I learned how to allow the grief and the joy to coexist. I wonder if the man in the story experienced something similar. If after moving through the disappointment of not being able to join Jesus, he was able to find joy and good fruit in this season he found himself in. We don't know much about what the man's life looked like after Jesus left, but we do know that it involves storytelling. According to the passage, the man shared the story of what Jesus had done for him, and everyone who heard it was amazed. What a change for this man to go from being isolated in the tombs, rejected by society, to having positive interactions with living people. By instructing the man to tell his story, Jesus gave the man an entry point to connect with members of his community. Have you ever felt closer to someone after sharing your story or hearing theirs? In part, there is a biological explanation for why this happens. According to neuroscientists, when we hear a good story, the chemical oxytocin is released in our brains. Oxytocin enhances feelings of trust, empathy, and generosity, all helpful things when we are looking to make and deepen connections with other people. But perhaps even more remarkable is the process of something called speaker-listening neural coupling. Apparently, when a listener is really tuned in to a speaker's story, you can see on MRI, MRIs that the brain waves of the listener actually start to synchronize with those of the storyteller. Isn't that amazing? Storytelling helps the man to reintegrate into society and to form connections with members of his community. Telling his story may have also been a potential source of emotional healing, a way for the man to process and make sense of all that he had been through. If he struggled with any shame about his past, sharing his story with an understanding audience may have helped him move toward accepting himself unconditionally. Shame and vulnerability researcher Brene Brown observes, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. Staying behind and sharing what Jesus had done for him may have allowed the man to experience a wonderful new chapter in his life, one marked by authentic connection and unconditional self-acceptance. And he got to play a role in the larger story of God. The man was one of the first to spread the good news of Jesus in Gentile territories. Before we wrap up, I'd like to leave us with a couple of practical suggestions. The first is, embrace both and thinking. 
both-and thinking is the opposite of either-or thinking. Either-or thinking might say, I am either happy or I am sad. And sometimes this is true, but often our feelings are more complex. Both-and thinking makes room for multiple truths, even ones that seem opposing or contradictory to exist at the same time. For example, I am both incredibly disappointed about the plans that came apart, and I am enjoying the good things this season has to offer. Let's face it, the human experience is incredibly complex. Rarely is a season of our lives marked by one singular emotion. Life can be both incredibly painful and incredibly beautiful all at the same time. Embracing this truth and allowing ourselves to experience our emotions in all their complexity, this is what it looks like to accept our reality unconditionally. The second practical suggestion is to explore storytelling as a tool for connection and healing. As we saw with the man in the story, storytelling can be an incredibly powerful tool for connection and healing. It can serve as an entry point to deepen relationships and to form new ones. Are there ways that you can make room for more storytelling in your life, either as a teller or a listener? Personally, I would love to hear more of your stories. Um, I would absolutely love to meet up for coffee or a meal um, and get to know each other better. Uh, so please send me an email if you would like to connect. As I invite the worship team up here, I want to share a blessing written by Kate Bowler, author and professor at Duke Divinity School. Blessed are you in the tiredness, the beauty of your grief, where half-closed eyes can better hold and remember all that is somehow good. No contradiction here, no either or, just two truths we wouldn't otherwise have seen, let alone wanted to embrace. Blessed are you settling yourself there in the space of yes and, where all that is true can be welcomed, not because it is easier, but because it is real. Life is so beautiful, life is so hard. Thank you.